Is this millionaire shortbread? Oh yeah. This is this is more like billionaire shortbread. It is. Who else is having one of these? I think Rory wanted to go halves. I'll have a slice. Because if you go the whole hog, look at the Thank size you. of it. Pass me that knife, Rawls. Yeah. You know. And uh, oh my word, look at that. Oh. He's <laughs> broken the plate. Did you feel the crack of the shortbread there? Oh, look at yeah, it. Oh! <laughs> are we oh, my God. Couldn't do that again <laughs> if you tried. We are rolling. We have dropped the shortbread in the coffee. Genuinely, there are baristas around the world who wonder what it would like to have millionaire shortbread right. in a coffee. So you should probably just Katie, could go you do, for it. Could you, do me one of, could you do me one of two things? He's going to eat it. No, don't eat that. Would you get yeah, Rory another cup of coffee? <laughs> Was that Hector? <laughs> Would you please get Rory another cup of coffee? And um, to spare my blushes, um, a better knife for cutting up millionaire shortbread. It wasn't the cutting that was the problem, Stephen. It was the it delivery. Was the delivery. Okay. But I thought the, 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 mm, the worst, the worst okay. that would happen was that it would land on the, the table. Okay, that's a good start. This is uh, amazing. Is it nice, that pie? Um, the pie is sensational. Thank you very long, much. Long one and then long again. This is a good opportunity as we all tuck into what is extraordinary cakeware mm -hmm. for Roy to tell us a story that allows him to be having all this fat and sugar because you've worked yourself to the bone today. Yes, I've been playing football at a, at a major Premier League stadium. Beating up on the Aeroflot posse. Absolutely, we, we played uh, a media team. <laughs> in Turf Moor! <laughs> Aeroflot at Old Trafford, oh, the, old tra the sorry, home of Manchester United, not a football club anymore, according yeah. to its badge. Uh, we won 5-3. There was some, uh, some fishy refereeing, I'd say, in the second half as they tried to close the gap. Mm. Who uh, were your ringers? You must have had We ringers. didn't have any ringers. They had Dennis Irwin and Quinton Fortune, second half. Both of them played very well, although Dennis Irwin will never live down the shame five minutes into the second half of heading clear a corner, only to see the ball fall five yards outside the box to the number 14, Smith, who took a touch, watched the ball drop, caught it with the laces, yep. and put it into what might as well be called the top corner, although in reality probably wasn't the top corner. Who was in goals? Uh, some guy. Some guy. Yeah. He, he, Should he have done better? He probably could have done better. I think he was, he was, uh, he'd been, I think he'd come out to try and claim the corner and it hadn't worked, Chin. Yes. It was an in-swinger. Yeah. Oh, so it should have been. But it caused all kinds of problems defensively. There That's we the go. Important thing. I'm disappointed you took a touch, though. Well, you've got to take it. You've got to set yourself. He's not Paul Skulls. Well, he isn't, is he? No, he's, he's number a hell 14. Of a writer, Paul Smith, Scholes. comma, R, full stop. Imagine if Paul Skulls wrote a book on football. It'd be wonderful, it? would it? be wonderful. Yeah. It anyway. Would, mm. It would excoriate Manchester United, so just, that's for sure. Can I just check, check some details here? Mm -hmm. This was not an own goal. No, correct goal. <laughs> a correct goal. It was in the, kicked in the correct direction. How not my, my was there any intent? Because I have played football with was you on many occasions. Was there any meddling from the Russian government? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. I, I remain but that's, that's the kind of meddling that they're used to doing. So. I remain unmeddled with by the Russian government. <laughs> was the goalkeeper slumped on a park bench as the ball whistled <laughs> past him into the top corner? I mean, psychologically, the, the, the goalkeeper was slumped. Yeah, does it, the shot was, was... Thank you very much. Was it unsavable? wouldn't say unsavable. I would say unsavable by him. <laughs> <laughs> there was a suggestion that there might have been some alcohol consumed prior to this yeah, festival. Oh. I believe the Aeroflot uh, team had been... Uh, celebrating in Manchester the night before, which I would suggest is the, the wrong time. Celebrating? The joys to come. Ah, uh, uh, of course. And they, they may yeah. have made, that, that may have inhibited their performance somewhat. I, of course, had been in bed at 10 o'clock, although I had then been woken up at 4.30 by my, my, my son, who decided that 
that it was no day for a lie-in. Yeah. Uh, Did you take on some early fluids and carbs? Uh, I didn't take on any carbs. I took on my usual diet chinch of coffee, which got me th- gets me through everything and worked. It was good enough for my granddad and it's good enough for me. Yeah. So what we're establishing here is that being woken up early in the morning by a young child is better preparation for a media football day than going out on the razzle-dazzle the night before. Yeah, I mean, I would say that in terms of lesser of two evil stuff, that's, that's, right. where, we've, that's where we've landed. Okay. But no, it was a proud moment for me. I'm now unbeaten in four, four appearances at Old Trafford. And that goal made it 4-0. Yeah, it was also... They came back to 5-3. Some, some suggestion that that was the most exciting thing to happen at Old Trafford all season. <laughs> Very some, true. Some suggestion. Was Jose on the sideline <laughs> saying, pass it square! Jose smashed w- it into the top corner. He said, right, you're never playing for us again. What was interesting that was when Dennis Irwin and Quinton Fortune came on, giving the Aeroflot team that real kind of Manchester United feel, they did immediately <laughs> hit it long. And then really lose lose all tactical shape with ten minutes to go and finally decide to attack, which felt very felt very fitting. Before that, I sensed they were playing for a draw. Yes, first yeah. half in particular, very conservative. Was they there a trophy at stake like there was in the I previous match that Manchester United were involved? There in? might have been medals handed out afterwards, but I, I'd, I'd had to skedaddle by that point to to relieve my wife. You'd, you'd, sorry, you'd done the damage. I'd done the damage. You didn't need the the, the silk. You didn't need the accolades. It's not about that, is it? It's not about that. And no. the other the other thing I would say is that. Everybody else was taking pictures. I didn't take any pictures. I, I will remember it. I will remember storing. At the Did Stratford you have no end. friends or family there? No friends or family there, no. Nobody? They're, not even Hector? Not even Hector. Oh, Hector's here change. now. It's his job. I had to come and watch you today. Hector's here now. Hector's here now. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to come and watch you if you'd ask me, but you just didn't ask me. As, oh, you, I, as you regale the stories, he is firmly asleep. Hector has <laughs> heard the story three times already. <laughs> Although if I'd have gone, you wouldn't have scored a goal like that. I'd have been, been, you'd have been too... Psychologically and yeah. sexually intimidated. Yeah. Can you imagine how yes. livid Jose Mourinho would have been if he'd been there today? Mm. Seeing an eight-goal game. Oh, it's, seeing it's, Smith smash one it's in his from worst 25 nightmare. yards. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of decent passing football, I've got to say, as well. Oh. Mainly by our team. Although he did say before the FA Cup final that the thing that he doesn't like is a game which is one-sided. That's not entertaining. 5-0 is not entertaining. An entertaining match is where it's close until the very end when there's one goal in it. And they tried to make it close by the sounds of things due to some terrible refereeing performances. Yeah, the, the, the last 20, 25 minutes, I very would say, much in the Jose mold. became yeah. about reducing the gap. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't... I, I think because that, that... Saving face, Chinch. Yeah, yeah. but if, you, if, you, if they're rubbish and you smash them... Then that's their own fault that's for being rubbish at football. That's their own fault for being terrible. That's what I think. They, and they have to take that on board. They need to learn a lesson. They agree. It's a harsh season. lesson So why of life? give them penalties? And go, oh, here's three. You're still, you're rubbish. I've given you three. You still know you're rubbish. You do? Yeah. yeah. Who's the referee? Can we can we punt him down? Some guy. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently he was a proper referee. He was he was having a nice day as well. Oh, he yeah. Was. yeah. You have to have a pro- proper referee for these, for these matches. You, you yeah. still need guys with flags and guys in black and stuff. Yeah, yeah, proper referees. Officials, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't Good. just get you can't just no. get your mate Trevor to do it. Are you aware we're doing this with an audience today? By the way. Yes. Hi, kids. They are welcome, it. welcome to uh, Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Also, welcome to what is chaotic, but still a festival of summer socialising. Is that fair? Uh, socially Socialising. Socialising. Summer socialising yep. here at the Wyeth household, mm. where we have. A whole gamut of people and animals, and hopefully we will entertain all of them, yes. as well as the fine folk who are listening. I don't know if there's a gamut of animals, there's one dog. Well, he counts. There's he more ca- calories than, than animals. I, I would agree. massive amounts of calories. 
<laughs> I think it's the first dog that's been in our house. It's very kind of you to allow him into no, the house. That's not a problem. Fortunately, the hot weather has basically wiped Hector out for the last week. <laughs> Katie's, Katie's flipped me the V, which I think means that there's been two dogs here rather than... That she dislikes. Oh, that's what that signal means, yeah, yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. normal. Um, the calories are via um, a birthday cake, but the cake of none of those who are present. It was my wife Gemma's birthday this week, but Happy on the birthday. same day that she was whisked away to Croatia with work. So we have a good deal to be getting on with in terms of cake. The candles have been removed. We also have millionaire shortbread, one of which has been in coffee, courtesy of Stephen. Rory has still eaten that and the extra piece that he got as no, I didn't. compensation. That is a lie. Is that not right? I've eaten the coffee piece. Oh, right, and you're saving the other piece. For I'm not it. having the other piece. It's for somebody else. It's for somebody else. I'm an um, Lemon meringue pie, courtesy of where, Chinch? Cafanos uh, in Poynton for all your... Calorific needs. <laughs> okay, excellent place. Very, very, very kind indeed. I'm Hugh Ferris. With me are Andy Hinchcliffe, a fan of Alan Partridge, Rory Smith, a super fan of Alan Partridge, and Stephen Wyeth, who actually became Alan Partridge <laughs> the other day when shouting after Rory at the BBC when they were in the same building to try and get his attention. I just wanted to say hello. Failing dismally. Dan! Dan! Interestingly, calling me a superfan makes me sound like the superfan in Alan Partridge, who is also from Leeds. <laughs> well, there we go. Based yeah, on? Yeah. Based on not me. Not you. Um, was, do you have any excuse for the fact that you were completely ignoring of your when, when uh, was it? inferior at the BBC? It was... He gets uh, starstruck when he sees writing. Well, exactly. It was, it was ahead of your appearance on uh, the Monday Night Club. Yes. I w- I'd just finished. I'd just finished delivering the sports news on Five Lives, uh, Drive Time, excellent Drive Time programme, mm. and was uh, on my way home. I did not see you. I'd really I'd apologise sincerely. Was it all the bouncers you couldn't w- see through all the. Was I talking to Chris Security? Well, the, tal- the, the proper talent you see gets escorted from yeah. reception to the studio area, and ah, I think. That's uh, I the, think that's, not, to that's not a talent thing, that's a security thing. They won't let us in. That's actually makes, that, you need that, a, that makes more sense with you. Yeah, you need a. It's really weird. You need a chaperone to go up one flight it's of a, stairs. A meet and greet. Even when you go in once every two weeks and know exactly what you're doing. They've, in recent times at the BBC, having an ID pass is no longer good enough. Mm. That the guys on security want to see your ID pass before you hold it against the plate which opens the barriers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which I've always that. thought seems like yeah. a, an unnecessary added layer of security. So when you go into the BBC, it's like Blazing Squad coming through with like 48 <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. But there's only you, which is enough. Yeah, but ironically, I was also in Blazing Squad. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. At the back? One of the Sorry. tall, one of the everybody, tall ones. Everybody, <laughs> had, everybody had a go in Blazing Squad. No, I mean, we were all sugar babes for 20 minutes, weren't we? I feel like, um, for those for those overseas listeners who um, don't understand the reference to uh, Alan Partridge, purchasing the day-to-day box set is the very first yes. thing that you should be doing. Yes. Even before listening to this podcast, in fact, one-click ordering on Amazon.com or .co.uk or .whatever, mm. just get that day-to-day box set straight away into your house, onto your television, and then, firstly, you'd understand... And secondly, you would be introduced to probably the world's greatest I, television program. I think also yeah. there's, there's a good chance you'd enjoy the podcast more if you had a, a working knowledge of the day-to-day. <laughs> that was the, one of the reasons why I just said yeah. that. Also, did you notice that uh, Barney Roney said that um, Unai Emery, that he looks like a young Alan Partridge from the day-to-day years? He looks like the character in the Bureau, in the day-to-day. The one who says, I'm closing the Bureau for an hour. Uh, which is uh, which is one of my favourite scenes in the day to day. Which you can like get that. hold he, of if you get yourself a box set. He also, as somebody pointed out, looks like the butler in the Adam Sandler classic, Mr. Deeds. 
Get in touch at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Before we get to some of your correspondence, a mention for John Nicholson, who big upped set piece menu. Can you have that in the past tense? Big upped. No, of course. Uh, big up, big set piece menu. Bigged up set piece menu and his best of the media for the last season. Thank you, uh, John. An example of how bribery works, we can now bestow on John an immediate title of Buffalo. Congratulations. He also poured praise um, separately on Rory and Chinch. Uh, which was nice for those two. Uh, right. <laughs> what did he say? What did he say about us? Were we just great generally? Or? Yeah, great generally. Great. Was, there was a subheading. Great generally. Yes. Rory Smith, Annie Hinchcliffe. That was it. Yeah. Brilliant. It was just like a, an addendum. People whom I like. Yes. Yeah. Just at the end. Oh, by the way, none of these people I've mentioned, but yeah. Andy Hinchcliffe, Rory Smith, great. You two didn't get a mention, though. Nope. Excellent. <clears throat> Better. Sam Crocker has emailed saying this. Dear Steve to use the formal SPM greeting. I think I've written him before, but nowhere near as much as my SPM fanboy levels would suggest. I'm not going to claim that I am a Buffalo, but simply a wannabe Buffalo and need to have a strong word for myself to reach such a title rather than question the arbitrary powers of our host and Buffalo-designating overlord, Hugh. BDO. Uh, I think that'll, that'll go down no, that's, well. a, that's a type that's of a dance. dance organisation. <laughs> I'd like to express my support for a recently incredibly geographically specific chat about the West Yorkshire slash Greater Manchester area. You may remember we had a giant-sized party ring from a trip I made to a bakery in Upper Mill. Yes. It is amazing that anybody listens to this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sam continues, as someone who has very recently moved to these parts, it was nice to hear about such places as Saddleworth and Upper Mill, the latter whose bakery I've been turned away from. Such was the popularity, probably, was he, was due not, to us. Was he not wearing the right shoes? That's, that's that one of the turned reasons. Turned away from a bakery? There that, is a dress code at the Upper Mill Bakery. So I encourage you to keep alienating your international supporter base with geographically specific chit-chat of this locality. Meanwhile, I would also like to offer up a potential pronunciation conundrum. All I ask each of the team to do is guess the correct pronunciation of the place that I live according to the people who live there. The name of the place, and I will spell it, mm-hmm. S-L-A-I-T-H-W-A-I-T-E, near Huddersfield. He says he'll reveal the correct pronunciation in future emails, which he says is a bit of a tease. I was going to say, we can just Google it. Spell yeah. um, it again so slowly. S-L-A-I-T-H-W-A-I-T-E. Well, so-, so written... It is Slaithwaite, yeah. but it is not well, are we guessing? Slaithwaite. Well, it, I mean, the irony would be if it was Slaithwaite. That would um, be quite, quite a clever email. So that we don't have to wait for another episode of this fine podcast, I know what the answer is. Does anybody Would, would anybody like to have so a So this guess? is not a massive trolling of us, this email, in, into sort of... Partially. Into it's a partial something. trolling. Slue. Slue from Chinch. Steve is... It's written down. You're just going to say Slaithwaite. So Slaithwaite. My initial reaction is Sluffet, but I think it might be Slut. That would be unfortunate. <laughs> um, I can reveal, and I hope that Sam agrees with me. I think it's Slowit. 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 Uh, any further emails about that? Do let us know. Uh, from Stephen Chicken, who is very close to becoming a buffalo after Rory told us his story about Huddersfield last week, he says this. I can confirm that Huddersfield running out of food in the press box is nothing new. Oh, good. Even when they were in League One, you had to get there by 1.30 at the latest to get a pie. More than once, I've arrived to find all the hot drinks have gone. In the absence of anyone else, I once had words with their poor beleaguered catering manager who was sympathetic and brought me a cup of tea from the kitchen. Hashtag privileged journalist problems. So, yes, you were witnessing something, Rory, that clearly is... Even in the Premier League era, not been fixed. I think teams should be relegated for not having enough press. Why, why don't you just take your own sandwiches in a thermos? Then you solve all these That's stupid true. problems. I'm not, well, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get your thermos into the ground, for a start. And Could be used as a missile. The, <laughs> there a are, hot, soupy it's missile. Got, it's got metal in it. There are certain 
I bet there's clubs that would take sandwiches off you as well. This is great advice from the man, incidentally, who works for the organisation that has its own catering truck parked outside yeah. the building. Rory! So that you don't even need oh. to grace the press room. Yes. You don't have to mix with the riff But what do I do, Stephen? I take my own quinoa. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you fit in beautifully. Yes. You and Martin Tyler, quinoa pie. Uh, so let's get chatting, <laughs> shall we? Our subject today is about those people at football clubs who help them to make headlines without often getting any of their own. They are the support staff. The Football Medical and Performance Association had their awards, I'll let you know, a few days ago. The host was really good. Really? Oh, Great right. feedback. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful good host. Good looking. Good looking, talented, yeah. kept it running to time. Yeah. Definitely Very entertaining. All, almost hilarious. But during the event, a quote was put up on the big screen saying, a good medical staff will win you 15 more points a season. They would say that, but it came from a notable football manager and seeing all the Manchester City title celebrations at close hand it was clear that Pep Guardiola wanted his coaching staff all of them to play a major part in that they even had a second trophy lift and secondary lap of honour planned after the players had done theirs on the day they received the, th- the trophy to accentuate the point that he was trying to make it's also more and more the norm for a new manager to bring with him his staff something that goes back to Brian Clough and Peter Taylor and beyond but now often involves three or four assistants as well as nutritionists who'd be horrified by our cake eating so far uh, but also sports scientists and more which suggests the value that they have for that particular manager so is having good players enough or are they nothing without the support staff chinch tell us about the medical staff that you knew better than your teammates because you spent more time with them. Well, it's interesting how we're saying modern coaches bring the staff with it. It must be about trust because I remember when, say, the head coach changed at clubs that I was with, the, the medical staff tended to be, they, they stayed at the club regardless of who was coming in or out as a manager. So, And then I wonder whether coaches at that time would have had a bit of a worry if a physio said he's not fit to play this way. Do they really trust what the physio is saying? So I can understand modern coaches bringing their own staff in, people they've got to know. There's not going to be any ambiguity about whether players are fit or not. So I, I think it's that relationship between the medical staff. I'm just talking mainly about the medical staff because they're the people I mainly dealt with during my career. Surgeons, <laughs> physios, not so much coaches. They didn't play very much. Paramedics. Paramedics. Um, <laughs> but it must be that. It must be that understanding. And so this, this thing with Man City, did they put the trophy on a stretcher and take it round the, <laughs> the pitch again with all the medical staff clapping? Is so that the idea was is that the, the players lifted the trophy yes. to greater claim. Yes. Um, and then they went around with yeah. the trophy and then Pep Guardiola took it off them, went onto the same plinth yes. and put it there yeah. and lifted it with all the support staff and no players. It's great. No, it's good. So he wanted to make sure that he accentuated the fact that the, the, the support staff, and particularly for Pep Guardiola, who needs to have his support staff with him to deliver his philosophy and particularly when it's you know making sure that the players can harry hassle press go crazy for 90 minutes yes. clearly you need to be at your very medical best to be able to do that so yeah. and there are also those that apart from the phys- fitness trainer um those that he brings everywhere with him which is essentially five people yes um so he wanted to make sure that they appreciated but they it, were appreciated well, as much it is as so players. i think it is so important now because we know what prevention is better than it's cure. better than cure. Yeah. So I think a lot of the medical staff these days work so hard during the course of weeks and months to make sure the players, of course you can turn an ankle or someone can break your leg. There's something you can't do much about that. But there's a lot of work goes into preparing players before they play. So the chances of them getting injured in the style that the team plays, that, that's what I think they do. So they know how Guardiola wants to play. They know the demands that he puts on the players. So the work that they do 
the medical staff working alongside the coach is to make sure the players are capable, physically capable of doing the job and also limit maybe the amount of muscular injuries, certainly. I know at Arsenal, when Gary Lewin was there, they worked very hard to try and reduce the amount of muscular injuries they were getting because they wanted to play a dynamic game. So the, the training was then adapted. The medical staff had an input in terms of how hard and how long the players trained. So, again, it's everybody working. It's not just the coach making all the decisions and then saying, right, give me a load of fit players because that's what I need. They work very much as a team. They work together to try and get the players prepared as best as possible for every single game. Because you've mentioned Arsenal there, but I think over the last five or six years, Arsenal have had it the worst of any mm. club in the Premier yeah. League in terms of matches, man matches lost yeah. to injury. I think it's something like over 10,000 games lost to injury. Mm. Uh, injuries to their their players so if you look at maybe like you, you get a serious injury well that's bad luck a couple of serious injuries well you know what have, what have you done who have you crossed yes but do you get to a point where if a club is getting lots of injuries you or certain start types at, of injuries or yeah. certain types of injuries yeah. you, would you be saying well they're not do, they're not getting things right in terms of strength yes. and, strength and conditioning that, that, that's what Arsenal did they went through it, it does make perfect sense for any business you look you have a diary of all the injuries you had when they occurred how they occurred what kind of training was done before they picked up the injuries whether it be on a match day or in training a lot of these injuries happen in training as well so again it tells you they're trying to get the players prepared and it can take a while if you change coach and ask a player to play in a slightly different way. It will take a bit of time for players to adapt and they can pick up injuries until their bodies get used to what's being asked of them. It's muscular injuries which Arsenal were very keen on kind of getting rid of, but it, it takes time and it takes real preparation. And it's not something overnight that you can get right because players' bodies do take time to become accustomed to the way you want to do it. So, But they had a diary and they used to work back and say, well, what have we had in the past month, the past six months? Is there any way that we can adapt the training so these things... Because it can't all be just coincidence you can get really bad injuries, crucial ligament injuries or broken legs that you, you can do nothing about. But muscular injuries, especially hamstring problems, thigh problems, groin problems, a lot of this does stem from maybe over overwork. So again, it's looking at the quality and quantity of the training that's actually in place for the players as well. So there's so much, because it would be really interesting, wouldn't it, to get a, a physio and find out exactly the process they put in place. But they, they do work very hard to reduce the amount of injuries that, that happen. If what kind of support staff did you have for your game at Old Trafford against the Aeroflot Select 11? Just, just a few coaches, a psychologist, yeah. uh, two medics, although I think they were mainly sort of like ECG people, just in case anyone was collapsed. <laughs> was a Ken, was Ken there with his deep heat spray as well, just in case? No. No, Ken. No, Ken. No, no Ken. I think if you look at the, the effort and expense that clubs go to to recruit support staff, mm. then they have clearly identified that there is a marginal gain to be had in, in having the best, whether it's medical staff or whether it's kind of player liaison people, ground staff, really important. There's a big business in, in taking ground staff, particularly, particularly from the Premier League, to foreign, uh, <laughs> who I think PS, PSG's main groundsman is, is an Englishman. Real Madrid's Madrid main, yeah. main groundsman is an Englishman. Are we, are we particularly good at growing grass? <laughs> the English... Who would have thought it? The in English, a hot climate. No lawns. That's, what, that's, all, that's all you can say. So basically, so foreigners, they look at all the lush green grass we have <laughs> and they think it's something we're doing. It just rains all the time. <laughs> more impressively, I think foreigners look at, seems a lot of foreign football clubs seem to look at the Premier League, the, the whole spectacle, the, the drama, the, the kind of the showbiz, the razzmatazz and they think, oh, that's a nice bit of grass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay 500 grand a week for that grass. Um, we're not going to import their ticket prices but we will take their lawn. Daniel yeah. Levy tried to encourage me to sign for Tottenham saying, we have a nice pitch, you know. I said, yes, I have played on it a few times and yeah. it is terrific. Is that right? It's like a lot of other pitches I played on. Grassy. <laughs> was that his, his, for want of a better word, pitch to you? Oh, oh nice yeah, one, mate. Yeah. yeah, and then I said, yeah. what about the money? No, I didn't. I didn't say what about the money. I did say what about the money. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, um, anyway, so if you look at the, the effort and the expense the clubs go to, I think relatively recently Man United have brought in Stefano Repetti from Inter Milan, who I presume Jose knows from his time in Italy as, a, as another fitness coach. Uh, if you look at not just the way that individual managers work, and I think Chinch is right, they want people around them whose judgment they trust. They don't yeah. want to inherit someone and then find out a couple of years down the line, you saw it with Guardiola and Hans jo- Joachim Muller-Volfart yes, yes. yeah, yeah. at Bayern, where it turns out actually Guardiola, rightly or wrongly, thinks the doctor is a quack and therefore disagrees with all of his mm. his opinions and get that tension. They want people who they trust. He's back now, by the way. It was one of the he's first decisions yeah. Bayern yeah. made after Pep left. We'll get that guy back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I can see why they do that. I can see why the clubs do go to all that effort and expense. And it's because football at the elite level is a is a sport of marginal gains. The, the margins between the teams that we in the media and we as fans think of as being amazing and dreadful are tiny. That really isn't much of a difference in terms of the talent level. It's Barcelona and Real Madrid may be a bit different, but generally, you know, teams that are lauded for the way they play or for the for the ability of their players aren't that much better than than the teams that we think are awful and getting relegated. The in terms of what they can do with the football, so all that other stuff, kind of the aggregate, all that other stuff adds up and makes a huge difference. But I do think there's an element of Emperor's New Clothes about some of it and I do think there's an element of um, I don't know charlatan chicanery and charlatanism about it I think there's a lot of people in football who are maybe employed because the clubs kind of think well we might as well just in case but they don't really and, do and anything and also because they have to because the manager that they want says if you're going to employ me that's fine but you're going to employ all of us you've got to bring my spiritualist Got to bring the spirit as well. There's a, a character, which sounds demeaning, um, at Manchester City, who is Pep's sounding board, but he's also kind of a player liaison guy. Mm. He uh, provides <laughs> spiritual uh, help, not not spiritual help. Uh, he provides emotional support. He is the sounding board for any of the player. But if any of the players have have any issues, called Manuel Estiate, Pep pays him. Oh, is that the right? club don't pay him. Really? So he, he is a former water polo international, a genius, genius of his sport who Pep met years and years ago, who they just hit it off. They have exactly the same kind of um, philosophy in terms of football, but also clearly they have a similar philosophy in terms of how to communicate with their staff. So Manuel Estiate comes in and he essentially does all the, the Pep to player communication he is the go-between and so Pep insists that he is with them to such an extent that he is prepared to pay him out of his own salary because the club say well you know what what's he going to do and so he's like an assistant to the players about how he wants them to play just yeah yeah. if they've got any concerns they go to Manel if if, if somebody does an interview um, they will often be chaperoned by Manel who also chaperones Pep yeah I understand all that but surely the way that he he isn't involved in Pep Guardiola talking to his players about not in terms of tactics on the training field but But in terms of everything else yeah yeah because communication is much more than just stand there isn't it it's how you're doing but Manel provides a clear service now whether whether Pep could survive without that service is a slightly different matter but Pep clearly feels that Manel is important to his continued success. Yeah. And just in that one sphere, that means Manel's doing his job. If, if even, even if he is nothing more than, and I don't mean this dismissively, a mascot for Pep, then, then it's, it's worth having him around. If it gives Pep confidence, then that's fine. I think the, other, the issue is more with people who come in and out of clubs 
who aren't necessarily providing such an obvious. Yes, yeah. I wasn't suggesting. I wasn't value. move on from your charlatanism yeah, 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 yeah. to Manel. I was just illustrating a person who is so important to a manager when he brings in his entourage that he is prepared to pay them. That's the significance of that person to that manager. But we are seeing that managerial entourages are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes, and incorporating a lot more people whose jobs are a little bit more uneasy to define. Well, even if you look at Manchester City's official website, Pep's staff is him plus eight. Effectively, a manager and eight assistants. That's an astonishing number of people. That's before you get to the medical staff. I was going to say, how how many physios with clubs? Do they have three normally clubs now? No, they'll have... I mean, most clubs would have... uh, Well, a a first-team doctor, well, probably a head of medicine, yeah, uh, and possibly, I guess, someone underneath him or her uh, then a first team doctor, then a reserve team doctor, uh, two or three physios. They'll have youth team physios. They'll have reserve, yeah, under twenty three physios. They'll have physios for every individual age group. Yeah, it's a huge. Th- there is an element of within, and it's it sounds really sort of luddite to say it, but there is an element within football that clubs think more is better. And I was talking to someone the other day who was explaining. I think it was Arsenal's. In fact, it was on the way to Huddersfield. That's a very lucrative visit for you. Yeah, uh, Arsenal. The the number of um, kind of staff at Arsenal. It may even have been you know it may even have been on the radio. I take it all back. That you know the kind of assistant under seventeen physio, assistant under sixteen physio, assistant under fifteen physio, assistant to the assistant, assistant to the regional manager, all that stuff. And and I just wonder whether the clubs are kind of thinking we we have to fill these jobs partly because and this happens a lot in football. Other clubs have them. So if Manchester United, say, have 46 youth team scouts, then Liverpool and Man City and Spurs and Arsenal and Chelsea would all think, we better have 46 youth team scouts. They won't. They, they very rarely pause to think, huh, that's a waste of money. Yeah, it's d- just in case yeah. uh, hiring, isn't it? But also because these things can pr- provide a massive... Not a, they can provide a very slender advantage, but in the context, that's massive. So that analytics is obviously a growth area. And if you have a really good analytics department, that makes a huge difference in your recruitment. It can, make it, it can save you millions of pounds on players. It can make a huge difference in the way you play. It can tweak the way that you approach games. It can win you points. So th- there is value to all this stuff. But the problem with so much of football is that there's no, because there's a culture of secrecy. There's no way of spreading best practice. And there is no way of checking that the people who are claiming they've done stuff have actually done it. Although I'd imagine that if they have a value to that manager, they will continue to be hired by that manager. And if that manager realises that they haven't, then they won't. But often it's more than that. It's the personal relationship that they have. One of the first pieces you wrote for the New York Times, I think, was about Klopp and his nutritionist. Mm, Mona. uh, At Liverpool. This this is an example of somebody who he trusts implicitly, Mm -hmm. brought over to Liverpool, structures everybody's diet Mm -hmm. and... I think the, one of the points you made in this piece is that it's fairly new that somebody would have such a strong relationship with a nutritionist that you would take them with you wherever you go. But he obviously values that because, again, he needs his players to be incredibly on it physically. Yeah. And there will every marginal game that could be had, there will be taken advantage of. And part of his thinking is that you need to have the right diet to do, yeah, to, mm. to do it. And Mona is fan- he's fascinating. She's She's clearly brilliant at her job. She's... She they speak to the players. She the stuff that she cooks for them with. I mean, I kind of think of football as just eating chicken and broccoli and it getting really boring. But the stuff that she kind of cooks for them is nutritionally beneficial. But also the players love it. They they're really happy. And it's the same if you go to like Burnley. They've got a, a nutritionist now who who provides the players with food to eat at home so they don't have to cook for themselves. 
Uh, I think they've done lessons for for the players and their partners, whoever does the cutting in the household, to say that you know this is the stuff you need to be cutting. This is how to make it interesting. The question that I would have about all of them is 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 that something you need to import someone new to do, or is it something that the clubs already have an equivalent? And and this is not a slight on Can be taught. Can be taught. Can can it be taught, or is it? So have we kind of do we fall into a trap of thinking? But again, you don't, it's just in case hiring. Yeah, you'd rather do it because if you didn't, you might be in you oh, might look, be in a position where you're you're not benefiting your club. Just as I don't want to make anyone think that we're saying that Manel Estiarte is a charlatan, Mona Nemer worked at Bayern. She was hired by the German national team. Klopp took her to Liverpool, and as soon as Klopp took her to Liverpool, Guardiola tried to poach her for Manchester City. She is clearly very good at her job, but you, I just wonder whether in in a lot of cases, there'll be clubs looking at Liverpool thinking Liverpool's nutritionist has made a difference, let's get a nutritionist. Mm. Whereas actually, it's not like the, the people who work in the kitchens at Swansea or Stoke or wherever, they've been relegated, they're a bad example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Where the nutrition is dreadful. Yeah, they made the wrong decision. They've been poisoning people. Burger chips and milkshake. That's but a relegation it, it, right there. But it's not like they're going to be sort of serving up, no, like, no, here's, no, no, here's no. some lard batons, crack on lads. No, no, of course not. So here's a, here's a plate of fags, yeah. smoke them and then go and train. So it's yeah. Just it's eat them. Just, just eat, eat the fags. Just eat these cigarettes and then off you go. But if you're if you're a big name manager and you're allowed to have these people and you've had success in the past, you can understand why they transfer them from club to club and country to yeah. country because they've proved it, it works. And obviously, look at diet is absolutely. You look at the, you look at the the shape of footballers now compared to 30 years ago. They are leaner, they are stronger, they are faster, and other games change. I'm looking at a footballer from 30 years ago right now. <laughs> and it's a disgrace. You, you, look like, you look like Popeye. But this is the, this is the thing, is actually footballers, if you see them with their top, they, they look like rugby players, they're physically muscular, they're, they're so different. So this is the, the huge change, and this is all down to nutrition, it's weight training. His phone is Cristiano Ronaldo, topless. <laughs> no, it isn't Cristiano, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, topless. <laughs> anyway, so this has all benefited the players physically, and you, you can see it in... Yeah. The, the actual shape of the players. Whether that's made the game any better, the players are in better condition to play the game, put it that way. So that these people are, and the medical staff are presumably keeping people fit for longer. So they're, they're, all, they're all doing that as best they can. But it's like you say, you can have three or four or five. Physici- How much work they actually do, mm. or just having them available in case you need to drive somebody down to the local swimming bath to, uh, to to do a session in the pool. You probably have your own pool, don't you, if you're a big team. But anyway, you know what I mean? That's yeah. what I used to do at Hillsborough. Cross the road to the leisure centre and swim up and down. <laughs> Where Uriah Rennie. Uriah Rennie used to manage it. So we used to do 70... Le- oh, it was, a, it was horrible. But that's the physio. There was two of them. One used to say I was injured normally all the time. So they used to just... Uh, it was assigned to me to take me off and do stuff so the main physio could work with the players that, that needed to do stuff on the training ground. There was a Hinchcliffe physio. Yes. So yeah, on the website... There wouldn't have been a website, but on the website that Steve was saying about the newsletter <laughs> yeah the newsletter yeah. so Pep and his eight <laughs> coaches they would, you scroll all the way down to yes. the bottom Hinchcliffe physio just deals physio with Hinchcliffe <laughs> <laughs> yes sadly but that, that's yeah you're probably right how much work they actually do the clubs are never going to set they're, oh, they're all vitally important they're all working 16 hour days maybe they are but we don't know. But they, if you look at it from the, in terms of the coaches, they're people they've used before and they've got the power to say, well, if I'm taking this job, like a Pellegrini's mm. just stepped into West, I'm sure he said, I come, but these, these eight come people as well. come yeah. as, or I don't come. Because well, Conte, I think... He'll, he'll trust everyone. To use a Hollywood vernacular, I think Conte rolls 10 deep, doesn't he? I think Conte comes is that his entourage? Plus 10, yeah. Conte there plus is, 10. There so is. Don't is that, invite him to a wedding. Is that, two, oh, no. is that two or three Humvees then required to move them around? How many how many seats are there? How many passengers are there? That's not medical. Is that including medical staff? No, I think staff. that's coaching staff. All coaching staff. Because you're saying Guardiola has eight. 
yeah, without his medical eight. staff. That's just, yeah, that's but so he didn't bring all of those. Okay. Um, so, for example, he got Mikel Arteta, which brings me on to my next point, mm. which is because of the nature of how these entourages are being considered so important to these superstar managers, a lot of them are getting reflected glory. So, for example, Mikel Arteta linked with the Arsenal job, nearly got the Arsenal job. Uh, Rui Farrier has left Manchester United to pursue potential number one positions. Zeliko Buvac has left Klopp at, at the moment. It may well be that you listen to this in the future and they are reunited at some point. It's because Buvac has got a reputation for being the brains behind Klopp's methodology. Um, Rui Farrier has been so successful with Jose Mourinho over the last 10, 15 years that he now has a accumulated enough knowledge to be considered a possible number one. Um, Mikel Arteta has got such rave reviews for the way that he's, particularly with Raheem Sterling, but also other players, where he has been that coach on the training pitch, delivering all those kind of nuanced positional details that has seen somebody like Raheem Sterling become a much, much player uh, this season just gone. So these guys are getting the reflected glory of their superstar managers because they're dealing with good players and they're dealing uh, with clubs who will put them in the limelight. So do we think now that such as the kind of respect being given to these number twos who traditionally would have stayed number twos. We mentioned uh, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor. Peter Taylor took over at Brighton, was Brighton. it, after uh, Clough left? Um, and it didn't really work out. He went straight back with Clough. There are those, though, I think, that assume that the likes of Faria, Buvach and Arteta will be number ones and successful ones in the future. Is that because of them being such an important part of this support staff, this entourage to these managers. I think that's always happened to an extent, hasn't it? The, the, the really the really big managers, the ones who t- tend to dominate kind of eras in certain countries or in, or in Europe, have always produced like a little set of ducklings that have gone off, gone off and gone their own way. It's the coaching tree. Well, and, and it makes sense because if you're if you're if you're looking at the great AC Milan team, and you can't get Arrigo Sacchi or Fabio Capello, but you can get the guy who's been their number two for. How many, te- how many years, you might think, well, he could probably do the same. And especially because there is this tendency to give ans- support staff, ancillary staff, which is, in this case, everyone from the assistant manager down. So through to the nutritionist, the sports scientist, the, an- the analyst, the scouts, the um, the groundsmen, the, you know, ev- the people in football operations, the player liaison officers, all that stuff. There is this tendency to give them lots of credit for certain things. But when the team loses, no one ever says, well, it's Elko Buvac's fault. Mm. He's the brains. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know what I mean? Like, there's always this kind of... He, he, it was Klopp who called him the brains, which is nice of Klopp to kind of give him that, that shared respect. And I'm sure it's true. But no one says... So, you know, when, so when he leaves Liverpool, everyone says, well, he's the brains. And, you know, any club would be lucky to get him. And fair enough, that's fine. But when Liverpool were losing games, no one was saying, well, Zelko Buvac's tactics have been awful. They were saying, Klopp's messed this up. And that, that's the kind of... So you're protected. That's, that's where you have a bit of a problem, and that's why with, in all of those cases, you can't be sure that they have the, the, the manager they're working with, their kind of charisma, their stardust. It, must, it surely must help the club that you're at, because who's number two to Sean Dyche at Burnley? I don't know. This is the thing. Mm. And I'm sure Sean will, will work with somebody who probably has a huge influence, but because it's Burnley and not Man United, maybe we don't know. Who's number two to Paul Lambert at Stoke? Well, nobody because Paul Lambert is not at Stoke anymore. But again, who, who was uh, who was his number two when he was there? <laughs> David Wagner. Who's his number two? This is the, it has to be surely in terms of the. the it's you're, only, you're more noticeable when you're number two. Only Ian Wone, one of the left, you one of the best left feet in the history of football, mm. just below. Yes, 
Andy Hinchcliffe. Kevin yeah, but you wouldn't, Kevin you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. He is the assistant manager at Burnley. Yeah, but I had to Google. Know. Absolutely. Google. So this but is the thing. The club that you're at certainly helps. If you're number two at Man United, you maybe begin, the, your name is going to be much better known than the number two at Burnley. But that's what I mean. It's the, cult, the cult of the yes, manager absolutely. often yeah. becomes yes. the cult of the yeah. manager's troop. Yes. But this comes back to when we were talking about managers and the right clubs and the right set of players for the right manager, that sort of combination of things that, that breeds success. Probably the same can be said about the team that a manager gets around them and maybe it's maybe it's easy to get carried away with the the small part of the job that each one of those individuals contributes but maybe we should reflect upon Pep Guardiola's success as being as he clearly did a team success he might be the figurehead of that team and he might be the one who who draws in the big salary and attracts the biggest clubs all over the world to to try and employ him and subsequently his entourage of people. But you've got to give those managers, those superstar managers, credit for making sure they surround themselves with the right people. It was it, it was a, a criticism of Arsene Wenger mm. in his latter stages at, at, at Arsenal that he didn't have an assistant who would challenge him. There were times when Sir Alex Ferguson, it was reflected upon him as to whether he had the right assistant you know, when, when Manchester United went through it, it wasn't necessarily always whether Fergie had lost his way, but whether he was actually being driven from those around him enough. And, Brian and Kidd's fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, those, and those that challenged Fergie in his history often got binned off fairly soon afterwards. But they, they'd, they'd, they'd contributed along the way. Oh, yes, they'd been they? fantastic, but there, there was but often a, a personal breakdown, like Archie Knox, for example. Yeah, relationships with, and, and United. And, and, I think. and clearly, although these groups of people seem to be swelling and the the job descriptions become all the more fanciful perhaps if they are taking some of the burden of responsibility away from the manager allowing him to focus on the most important things without worrying about what the players are are eating about what worrying about whether mentally the players are in the right place because he's got those buffer zones to protect him from anything other than the the biggest problems he can focus on getting the bits done that he needs to and, and the yeah. clubs so that's probably why the clubs are willing to throw money yeah. at it yeah. but also there's, I think we have to assume that part of the still in modern management for, for, the, for the super elite managers the, the, at the clubs where they can hire all these people where they can say alright you know we can have you bring in your spiritualist and your taxidermist and, and your chiropodist and that's fine we, we want them all we want all of them on board to charge us to glory and you know the Trump winners, Trump or whatever. The the um, <laughs> that was very much the story of 1989. <laughs> that, yeah, the part of the skill. I think Dyke said at the, on the Trump final on Trump final day on the radio that um, that being a manager now is effectively managing 25 small businesses because of the, the, that's what the players have become. But I think there's, you can maybe add another layer onto that, which is that it, part of the skill of management is making sure that you have the right blend of people working for you to to help you manage those 25 small businesses. So yeah, it, they all deserve some credit and they are all, all part of the whole. But that's maybe at odds with the fact that we are in a, we've always worshipped the manager in this country. There is there is a weird kind of fixation on, on the manager and how Dr. Different 25 years and only after 25 years will you know if he's su- successful. But we are in a particularly kind of managery culty stage of, of English football's development. You know, if you think that from two years ago when there was Guardiola, Jose, Klopp, Pochettino, Conte and Wenger, there is now this weird fixation, much more on, not weird necessarily, there is this fixation much more on players, on managers than players, I think. And that has led to to, to the deification of the manager and kind of as a consequence of the support staff. So how, how long has this 
been in evidence? Would you say is is it something relatively recent? If you go back through Guardiola's managerial history, is it something that he would have inherited at Barcelona? They, and they, then were, they were pretty much all with him at Barcelona B. So they're all. So he's basically come yeah. through the yeah, so, yeah, I presume they were all in place at Barcelona B anyway. Yes, he did yes. bring them all I, in. I don't think he brought them in, but then he he would have had nowhere to bring them from, from because he exactly, had, yeah. it was his first job. But it wasn't just like people that he knew and he thought, right, I want I want to work no, no. with him. It was it was the, it's the, he found the staff at Barcelona who he likes and he trusts and he is happy. And I, I'd not thought of it like that to be fair before until Chint said so. But I think that, I think that's probably what it is that I was trying to think. I've, I've always been tempted to think it's kind of jobs for the boys almost that it's these are my mates they come with me well, I remember, but at, I think I remember at Sheffield Wednesday Paul Jewell and I who I think I probably you told you him? we didn't get on oh, particularly well on. and I was injured on. there and I remember there was a couple of physios I won't mention any names um, Dave and Dave too and <laughs> there was times when the physios used to get it in the neck and he used to bypass me to speak to them and say is he really not fit and the physios were put under enormous pressure because he thought because of our breakdown personally that I was telling the physios, just, just tell him that I'm not fixed, I don't want to play for him. And he got really paranoid, not just with me, but with other players as well, that the physios were taking decisions out of his hands. So you might think, oh, that doesn't happen. It did happen. So I missed the start of what you were saying because I had to go mm. and sort out a FIFA-related problem on the PlayStation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> th- this, is, th- this is welcome to my life. Um, but is there too much pressure put on medical staff I'm thinking for example like Harry Kane this yes. season just gone Spurs were clearly desperate to mm. get him back and anybody watching Spurs play when Harry Kane returned to action could see he wasn't 100% mm. is there so much importance put on the star quality of individual players that if they do get an injury you're suddenly bereft as to how you're going to cope without yeah, them yeah. And, you know we've talked a lot about strength and conditioning but one assumes that there's also the, the, the sort of post-injury side of mm. the medical operation who are under a huge amount of scrutiny to make sure that everything that they're doing is for the player's best, but that they're doing it quickly as well. Yeah. Because if a six-week injury can become a four-week injury, yes. then that that could be where the, the 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 additional points that Hugh was talking about at the beginning. I'm not sure about you know this 15-point thing, but you know it depends, the, the, how, depends how many. If you get 100 points, it's probably more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if you get 11 points like Derby <laughs> did in 2008, I'm not sure where you were going to get an extra 15 who points from with your medical staff. Who was their physio? Oh yeah, who was their captain? Who was their manager? An Everton team or Sheffield Wednesday team without Hinchcliffe is is on. Thinkable. It's no manager is going to want to contemplate that. But and also the vast wages that someone like me was earning, but not me. Yeah, <laughs> you can see the problems that the physio back then. Mm. Again, if it's trust player and they have bigger squads, maybe they say, "Look, I want him back in four weeks." But it might take. There may be less pressure, strangely, on physios now because again, the trust is there. Guardiola, whoever, will know that his medical staff are doing the very best to get because mm-hmm. they have a personal relationship as well as in terms of professional. And that is a big help because physios, absolutely, a Sheffield Wednesday. And also the lesser clubs, the star players at clubs may be battling relegation. Imagine if they're out injured for a bit. Can you imagine the pressure even today that the medical staff will be under to get him back out on the field? Not just the money they're paying him, but the fact we need him out on the field. Whether he's 80, 90% fit, we're going to need him. It could be the difference between staying up or not. So, yes, it is. The, the, the physios back in my day were under enormous pressure to keep players fit and get them back quickly. You mentioned wages. That There is an aspect, and one of, one of the people that I spoke to at this Football uh, Medical and Performance Oh, you were there, were you? Were you enjoying awards. the... Dinner. Yeah. And what um, were you doing? Because you told yeah. us the presenter was really no, really good. good. What were you, what were I really, doing? really recommend them. Really, really good. Yeah. Really, really, really cheap. Did you, did you get any <laughs> tips from the presenter at all? Was he was he that good that uh, he could no, improve your game? No, I wasn't allowed game? to talk to him because they were too famous. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. But one of, one of the things they said was that actually it's 
quite a difficult, the old way of doing things where you wouldn't be associated with a manager mm. or had had a certain kind of job security. You would be at that club regardless, come hell or high water. Yeah. What the new way of doing things, if you're a superstar manager who takes everybody with them, um, you can lose your job and that loses the job of all these people. So there is a strange, even though they are being protected, if you like, by their manager who takes them wherever they go. If that manager loses a job and doesn't get another job, yeah. they are out of work. So there's a responsibility that that manager has to give them the job with him every time because he's responsible for, he's partly responsible for them losing it in the first place. So there's, it's all very well being Pep Guardiola's sports scientist, but actually he's not, he's English and he was there before, but... You know, that it's all very well having that support staff that goes with you everywhere, but you could well lose your job at the whim of a chairman who doesn't like what you are doing or what doesn't like what the manager is doing. You might be doing a great job. So there is that, that the lack of job security, which mm-hmm. needs to be counteracted somehow. And that is often by the fact that he is protected by and taken everywhere by the manager. Yeah, it's a, diffi- it's a difficult one to, to fix, isn't it? Because you, you, the instinct is to say that it's better if the clubs have people in place and they are the people who do those jobs. And the manager then comes in maybe with the coaching the Certain clubs must still have that. Well, that's yes, but that's the process. buy-in. The buy-in yeah, the, buy thing. Yeah, yeah, but the coach fits a breakdown in trust between Pep yeah. and Muller Wolfhart and that's, meant, that, meant yeah. that it was a completely dysfunctional relationship. So you've got to have the amount of trust. I wasn't saying it was the right way to do it. I was just no, saying no, no. That's I'm just saying as, as an example, you can yeah. you can do it that way or you can do it other way. But there is issues either with job security or with trust. And and you, I guess you balance it out and you decide that you want the job. But even if you're insecurity, even if you've got the trust, as one of our actually proves that even if you're own, if you're hired and employed by the club, if a manager comes in who decides he doesn't like the cut of your jib, then you can you can be out on your ear, and and that I guess is the flip side of all, all of this comes back to how much power is now afforded to managers, and in certain club and certain country cultures, the the kind of ability they have to shape things entirely to their own their own kind of whims and the fact that in, I mean, in, in England in particular managers seem to find it appalling that they can't bring as many staff as they like with them wherever they go for six months and they just seem to find it shocking that the club maybe doesn't want do, doesn't want to pick up their their entire medical staff or their taxidermist and they they, they feel as <laughs> lots though of taxidermy they, they feel as though you've no idea how many pregnant clubs have got an official taxidermist the uh, the Swansea particularly because they kept getting stuff. <laughs> <Yay! laughs> yeah. It's been a long road to that one, but it really we got there eventually. It. The, and it is it it does seem to really offend them that they can't have everything their own way, but that's because we've created an environment where the manager expects to be given everything and, they want. And because the clubs are desperate to have yeah. that manager and they're prepared to accept anything to to, to not lose out. So incredibly this this sort of this idea that with Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, the, the the days of the all-encompassing manager were gone, is actually counteracted by the fact that these superstar head coaches seem to wield even more power at the clubs in terms of of who they can employ. It's just they're not doing it all themselves. They just they are spreading the the wealth amongst people that they trust. And also, they're doing it for shorter periods of time, yeah. which is a much more expensive business for the clubs because once Vendor and Ferdy have got the people in and I know that Ferdy fell out with assistants and I think it worked for him to, to continually, continually refresh the people who were working with the players and to refresh, refresh the people he was talking to but I bet United's medical staff probably didn't change that much in no, I don't, well, once he found the people he liked or the, the scouts certainly were, were 
well, mainly his family members. And <laughs> it's, true. The, it's true. The but he found he obviously found scouts that he liked and trusted. Yes. So they, whereas if you're doing that every four or five years, even just don't cost you a fortune. Do you want to pay all these people off? Um, we should uh, move on to uh, a soccer story. Oh, really? it's nearly time for us to go. Oh, okay. uh, But before we go, mm. it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days. All adult behaviour and libel where the details are moved. Have I mentioned Paul Jewell to you before? <laughs> I haven't. I actually haven't. Only no, on no, this no. podcast. Just hold on. Only I, I on haven't this. done that many Paul Jewell. I've mentioned him disparagingly you in general conversation. You've done I have the not snow done many. story. Well, you generally start What's frothing at the story? mouth when you're speaking about him. And just the more I think about him, it, there's just so much, there's so much to ridicule. Something come to mind. Uh, well, actually, this was on holiday. You and, and was, Paul Jewell on holiday. This, again, you, just to be quiet. <laughs> 2001. Rory, can you listen, please? I am listening. Are you? Yeah. Listen, this is a great story. He's the child at the back it, of the class. It'll, it'll strike goal, a chord. It'll strike a chord. He's just got a YouTube video of his goal at Old Trafford. Oh, really? Oh, Do anyway. go on. So anyway, 2001, Paul Jewell has just been sacked in the February at Sheffield Wednesday Sad for doing <laughs> a laughably appalling job. <laughs> so anyway, he's left. This is in the summer of 2001. It's the year before I retired, which clearly everyone wept, and it was a, a sad day for... English and world football. But anyway, this is the year before. So this is the summer with my previous wife. We used to travel to Portugal quite a lot. We used to have holiday in Portugal in the, in the posh places oh, in well, Portugal. Quinta de Lago. Have you mm. heard of Quinta de Lago? It's quite a, quite a posh area. So this was lunchtime. It must have been in July. We're, we're sitting with, the, they've got the two kids, myself and my ex-wife, all sat there having a lovely lunch for once. And <laughs> um, unbelievably, Paul Jewell came in with a couple of cronies and you know that you must have done it when uh, you've been his entourage in, sports kind of an entourage I don't think, his, I think they're just drinking his chief friends. doctor you know what you must have done it when you've have you ever been in a restaurant where maybe a former lover or <laughs> an arch enemy has come in and you know they're the, they're they the same s- person they me. see you and you see them but you make out as though you haven't and yeah, you yeah, pretend yeah. that you're yeah, having yeah. a really good time mm. and laughing at the top of your voice when Mex wife wasn't that funny to be honest but we weren't that far apart and I was looking you know, I saw him at the corner of my eye and I think oh my god this is going to be terrible there's going to be chairs being thrown here but, and there, but there was only one spare table and it sod the law it was right next to where we were so good on him he didn't actually kind of t- we kind of saw each other but mm. pretended that we hadn't and turned our backs and we spent the whole probably about an hour and a half eating with our friends <laughs> with our backs to each other literally four feet apart but as if as if we hadn't as separated if, by a world nothing <laughs> nothing had gone on between us but isn't it weird how you have all these kind of problems when you're working to, you must have had problems with people at work clearly look at you you must have had problems <laughs> Again, and then that, he could have been pointing to anybody but it was wrong. would you should I have because I had nothing to apologise for because the man was a buffoon but the, but you could have been no a bigger way, man but make, make polite what conversation. would I have said and it, it just I felt so awkward and it was one of the most painful meals I've ever had not because of the ex-wife but mainly because Paul Jewell was at my back and also you don't want to turn your back on Jewell is that a thing well got to be very careful I kept checking my shoulder blades every 15 minutes. Did you thought there might be a knife between cutlery. Them? Yeah. Any cutlery. Yeah. Any kind of cutlery. Any cutlery. Yeah. Any cutlery. So it was just, you must have had that. Now, have you not been in a room with, a, with someone that you kind of, you know, but you've not seen for a while or probably yeah. not in Hugh's case, former lover, definitely in Steve's case. <laughs> and there's that awkwardness and the kind of the atmosphere changes and you just yeah, yeah. become something that you're not and you're just trying to get through. Did your ex-wife know that Paul Jewell was your mortal enemy? He's never been my mortal enemy. Okay. He's not my kryptonite. 
He really isn't. What is your kryptonite? I don't. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that because that could open up a whole can of worms. Well, in that case, let's have suggestions. <laughs> but it's just, it's just that weird situation. And hopefully people might email it with a similar or maybe worse. Mm. Has, has anyone actually sat on a, a table with somebody that they clearly never wanted to see oh, ever oh, again? Like at a wedding? Yes. Oh. And like, oh my God. And you have that kind of, ah, I would I've also seen like, you, but I've not seen you. I'd also like people to email in with times they've had dinner with Paul Jewell. <laughs> oh. Or just did, near Paul Jewell. Did you ever have your back to him and what was that like? I'm just envisioning uh, the, the waiter comes <laughs> over with the uh, with the dessert menu. Oh, would you like to? Uh, you, no, 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 we'll get an ice cream on the way home. <laughs> yeah. Come on, kids. Come on, kids. First have time ever. Come on. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Come on. Shuffle. First time Chich has ever shrugged off the dessert menu oh it was awful oh Chinch you're such a man of the people you go through the same kinds of things same emotions same situations as all people out there yeah just so you've got the common touch I have I think that's why people mainly tune into this podcast well thank you very much indeed Andrew don't mm. forget how you can get in touch with us at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com please do subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Steve Rory and Andy and Paul Jewell for providing a fountain's worth of stories uh, thank you to you all for listening we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed I'm going to come up with a good story about him because I, I think it's unfair I, I've maybe portrayed in the him of balance yeah maybe uh, you're a broadcaster have change. I portrayed Think him about. in a bad light would you say uh, yes. yes I have mm, yes. yes really w- would you like to meet him though if, if would you or have well, I put, I've, have I've, I put I've you off I've met Paul Jewell have you yeah and how did you how did you get on well, he's a gentleman he's lovely a man lovely guy yeah. lovely yeah. guy yeah. We had to do I find yeah. his views <laughs> very accurate on left back yes he's, yeah. if I could distill down what Paul Jewell knows about football yeah I would probably say in his two sentences about left backs he absolutely nailed it by the way you've just missed um, Hector has effectively had a paw on Rory's ankle for the last um, I'm not sure how long That's so how he's, just like, he's just like reaching out just for that for that Hector is Rory's support staff. Comforting the touch of a of a naked Smith ankle, just to, to um, let him know that he's, he's, his friend and companion is close. He's by. still there. Yeah. I'm a little bit surprised that having talked about support staff, we didn't get an Eileen Drury story at the end of that. Do you want an Eileen Drury story for next week?